Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Well, good morning and welcome to First Day. This is First Day Services, the Lord's Day. What a blessing to be here in the house of the Lord together. And it's a special privilege today that we all have to honor fathers. And for those of you that are joining us online, we say a big welcome to you. Hope you're feeling well, and uh, we want you to know we love you, and we're praying for you. And if you happen to be just checking us out, we want you to know we are sure looking forward to you coming and enjoying us here in person. There is nothing as wonderful as being in the house of the Lord together. Thanks, Dad. That's our sermon for this morning. American writer and humorist Mark Twain said, When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished how much he had learned in seven years. (laughs) Yes, we love our dads. An eight-year-old wrote about dad, love, and true love. Love is when daddy reads me a bedtime story. True love is when he doesn't skip any of the pages. It is indeed a privilege, an incredible privilege, to be a parent and a father. It can be exhausting and interesting experience, like some of my favorite Asian food, both sweet and sour. Someone once said, parents spend the first part of a child's life urging him to talk and walk. And the rest of his childhood telling him to sit down and keep quiet. (laughs) One father said to his daughter, what's wrong, Judy? Usually you talk on the phone for hours. This time you only talk for 30 minutes. Judy replied, it was the wrong number. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Parenting and fatherhood is both a blessing and at times a burden, maybe a blessed burden. It is tremendous, but there are trials. Now, we're going to take a one-week hiatus from the Sermon on the Mount, the amazing Sermon on the Mount. And today, we're going to talk about fathers and to remember Father God, certainly, but also to honor earthly fathers. We need to do both. Now, I well realize that Father's Day can be difficult for some. Maybe your father is deceased or You never knew him, estranged or absent, or maybe he wasn't the ideal father. And it can be hard to think about those kind of things. Please know today that here at the home church and me personally, uh, my prayers are with you, and I certainly love you, and I know it's not easy. And yet still, I think we all should think about four things that we should say thank you to every dad and to all fathers. And I hope that today's message is a ringing and clear endorsement for the beauty of biblical fatherhood. Not like the three boys I heard of. Three boys were talking about their father's excellence. One of them said, my father is a great professor, 
And when he's talking about a subject, only 10 people in the world can even understand him. The second boy said, my father is a great brain surgeon. And when he's talking about his surgeries, only five people in the whole world even realize what he's talking about. The third boy, glowing, said, my father is a pastor. And when he's preaching, nobody can understand what he's saying. Well, I certainly hope that all of us understand this morning that our God, our Father God, truly loves each one of his children. And that's our theme today. Thank you, fathers. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, how all week I've just been so blessed to think about the thoughts today. And this morning, Lord, again, just uh, worshiping you, uh, both in private and then in this beautiful worship time. Thank you for all the love gifts, Lord, and already just the people that have reached out, both family and friends. Now, Lord, today, would you just collect our mind and our hearts together? And Father, I pray this will be an epic day, just a, a day when people will be able to say, on Father's Day 2022, God did a special work in my heart. And may that be true for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't think we really always grasp the full measure of what our fathers have done for us. But I think there are at least four areas I would like to point out this morning that have been, uh, we can thank the Lord for, for our fathers. Number one, let's thank fathers for our material provision. The things they have provided for us in this old physical world. The New Testament's most prolific apostle, Paul, laid out an important truth to his young preacher friend and his young colleague and son of the ministry, Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul asked him to share this truth. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired this. About the surprisingly spiritual nature of putting food on the table and how that piety and provision are inextricably connected. Look at verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, two different groups, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. My goodness. Those are some strong words from the beloved apostle. Here he is. He writes to his son in the faith, Pastor Timothy. And he says, I want you to be a faithful shepherd of the congregation. He was uh, probably single. He was pastoring in Ephesus. First Timothy covers a wide variety of important subjects that every pastor and every church should look into. False teaching. Proper etiquette in the church, standards for pastors and for deacons, and even he weighed in on the gospel message itself and the really uh, the elements of that. Amidst all of that, he gets very practical and issues a very sociological and important standard. He said, "You need to tell everybody this. Look now, just get everybody's head together. In this first world, first century world we live in." If a husband dies, then it's the responsibility of the children and perhaps a few others, but it is primarily the responsibility of the children to do all they can to provide for the widow. 
And then uh, certainly that would be extended to both uh, mom and dad if they're disabled or if they're uh, not able to care for themselves. And that's what he's saying. You provide for your own. These are your responsibility. And so uh, he said, I want you to tell them that. And then he says another thing in his verse 8. He said, now, especially you should provide for those of your own house. Well, I think most of us understand what he's saying is to the men, you are the provider for those that are in your house, your family. Those might be your children, your wife, and might be an extended relative, but your responsibility as the provide is to be the provider for that house. And I think what he's fully saying is, look, now that you're a Christian, and now that you think about God, and you pray, and you read your Bible, please don't misunderstand what your daily responsibility is. I don't want you to spend all day just sitting there praying and reading your Bible. Not that we can't be in an attitude of prayer, not that we can't be rehearsing verses in our mind, but don't just sit there and not work and say, this is what God wants me to do. In fact, in verse number four, earlier in that chapter, he said, you need to learn to show piety at home. And he connects it with all these wonderful, very physical, very important things that they need to do. There, very clearly, in order to nail this thing down, he wants them to know that this is their responsibility. In fact, he said, even unbelievers know that. How much more if an unbeliever, here he calls an infidel, if an unbeliever, someone who doesn't, hasn't given their life to Jesus Christ, if they know that that's what you're supposed to do, how much more should we know that that are filled with the Holy Spirit? Christian fathers, in fact, all good fathers, strive relentlessly for their wife and children from day one, often putting their own personal needs in the back seat, getting out there and hustling just to make things happen. They give up sleep, especially in early parenthood. They change their personal times. They can't just do whatever they'd like to do. They have to limit their spending, to be sure. They have to be selective with their outings with their friends so they can be available for their wife and for their children. And to their own food likings, they uh, maybe not be able to eat all the junk food they once ate. And they may have to sacrifice their dream job, maybe an impractical dream job, so that they can have a more financially rewarding one that would take care of their maybe growing family. All of this is what a pious father does. He provides, as Scripture says. I would like to tell you a little story about my own father. And so I was blessed that one of my daughters and others, uh, my sister actually sent me a few pictures. And so uh, here's just a little two-minute uh, video presentation of introducing you to my dad, who I'm so grateful for. My dad, Reverend Robert E. Pollock, passed away at 75 from lymphoma cancer. If he were alive today, he would be 99 years old. He was born in 1923 to a hardworking couple, Midwestern farmers and factory workers who homesteaded in Winnet, Montana. His humble beginnings taught him diligence 
and appreciation for the American way. When Japan attacked America at Pearl Harbor, he was the first in line to sign up to help defend his country. After the war, he and his wife, my mother, settled in Portland, Oregon. There, he became a successful young groceryman. And it was during that time that my mom was invited to church by Mrs. Frances Johnson. There, after attending for a few Sundays and having Frances Johnston witness to her, she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. Then they both began to pray that Dad would get saved and that not only would he become a believer, but that he would become a preacher of the gospel. And then when my dad was 26 years old, there at the First Baptist Church of Portland, Oregon, he accepted Jesus Christ. Soon after, God got a hold of his heart and he resigned and went to the Bible Institute of Los Angeles, where he sat at the feet of great Bible teachers like J. Vernon McGee and others. And then, upon leaving college, he became a church planter, pastored six Baptist churches for God's glory up and down the West Coast. Dad never made much money, but he always had food on the table. <laughs> Saw little Timmy there on my mom's lap there in the 50s. It is true. We, Dad never made much money, and even when he died, didn't hardly have much to his name. But I will say this. We always had food with limits on the table. Always had clothes to wear. We always had a house to live in, maybe not fancy, but it was a home for us. We always had a car, at least only one car, until later on after I was out of the home. And the one car we always had was a Rambler for some reason. My dad liked Ramblers. And then it became American Motors. In fact, uh, he bought a green Hornet, if you can imagine. Now, do I think my dad provided for me? Yes, I do. I never missed out on anything. He was hardworking, patriotic, and devout to his God. But I am confident of this. Despite limited means, he did a better job of providing for his own than any socialist government could ever do. And I am thankful for my dad. What about your daddy? Did he provide for you? Well, he probably did. And you need to thank him for it if he's still alive. And for sure, we ought to give thanks to God for all that our fathers have done for us. Paul had it right in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19, but my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God is the provider, to be sure, but God uses wonderful dads to do so. A young woman brought her fiancé home to meet her parents for Thanksgiving dinner. After dinner, her mother told her father to find out about this young man. So that father invited the fiancé to his study for a little talk. So what are your plans, young man? The father asked. Well, I'm a biblical scholar, he said. 
A biblical scholar? Well, hmm. Admirable. Well, what will you do to provide food and shelter for my daughter to live in? Well, I will study, the young man said, and God will provide for us. Well, how will you buy her a beautiful engagement ring such as she deserved? I will concentrate on my studies, the young man replied. God will provide for us. And children? Well, how will you support the children? Don't worry, sir. God will provide, replied the fiancé. The conversation proceeded like that, and each time the father questioned, the young idealist, Bible scholar, insisted that God would provide. Later, the mother asked, well, how did it go, honey? The father answered, well, he has no job, he has no plans, and he thinks, I'm God. (laughs) (laughs) No, fathers aren't God. But we are very grateful that they do provide for us. Thank God for that. Thanks, Dad, for the material provision. Number two, thanks for the faithful preparation. We are so grateful for all the training, the instructions, the information that you've given. And, of course, even what a greater privilege it is to have a dad who trains up in the blessed Word of God. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 4 says, And you fathers... Provoke not your children to wrath. A good plan. Remember, they'll put you in a rest home someday, so be careful. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Three little beautiful phrases there that God encourages a father to remember. First of all, your responsibility is to bring them up. The word there is to nurse, like you would take a small little seedling plant and to nurse it to maturity. It may take a little bit of time, and you have to work with it. And, as it says, you have to nurture it, or nourishment is the word. Healthy, good advice and strong things that help those little plants grow strong in the admonition or discipline of the Lord. Providing guidance, giving some direction, sometimes have to be firm with it. All of these things are the responsibility and the blessing of a father. Fathers do educate their children about many things. Through word and through deed, we have all been taught, often more than we realize. It's interesting, over the years, I'll be out, something will happen, and something that my dad said pops into my head. Usually some 40s or 50s slang, like when something is going really good, he would say, we're cooking with gas now. (laughs) Or when things weren't going so good and he wasn't blessed. He would say, that person is a knucklehead, maybe about me for sure. But, uh, but I remember things that he said and he taught me. One popular comedian wrote, now that my father is a grandfather, he just can't wait to give money to my kids. When I was a kid, I asked him for 50 cents. He would tell me the story of his life, how he got up at 5 a.m. when he was seven years old, walked 23 miles to milk 90 cows, And the farmer who he worked for had no bucket, so he had to squirt the milk into his little hand and walk eight miles to the nearest can, all for five cents. The result was I never got my 50 cents, but now he tells my children every time he comes into the house, well, let's see how much money old granddad has for his wonderful grandkids. And the minute they take their money out of his hands, I cut them over to me and I snatch it away from them because that's my money. (laughs) It seems like that at times, I'm sure. 
But really, fathers give all kinds of instructions to their children. They talk about school. They talk about work, relationships, cooking fried potatoes. I'll tell you what, uh, my dad uh, did a lot of cooking in the house. And one of the things he taught me how to do was to cook fried potatoes. And I'll tell you what, it, that is to this day, it is the treat of my life. Pauline made them recently, and I just sat there and just reveled in it. You have to cook it in a cast iron pan, first of all. And then you have to use Crisco. You can't use any of this uh, new stuff, you know, like kale oil or whatever. Like It's got to be Crisco. It's got to be. And if it's not Crisco, it's got to be bacon fat or something like that. But it's something good. You slice those things nice and thin. You fry them slowly until they get really good and brown. And then you throw some onions in there. And then you let them get all real good and brown. And uh, then you have that with Velveeta over toast or something like that. I'm telling you what, that's living right there, folks. That's uh, my dad taught me that. I think that's what they fed him in the military. But um. Paul, we have no record that Paul, the apostle, was a father. It's uh, intimated that he probably was married, uh, but. Um, we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 that he considered his spiritual uh, mission to be that of a father. In 1 Corinthians, he says, For though I have, ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. You see, anybody can maybe uh, read a verse and say a couple of words. Others may be able to preach uh, something. But when someone uh, handles the Word of God as a father, as a spiritual father, we're not Catholics around here, and nor do we ascribe to Catholic doctrine. But I will say there's something to the concept of a spiritual leader being called a father. Not in a formal sense, but it's certainly in a sense that he brings a special uniqueness to teaching the Word. And really, that's exactly what God wants us to be as people, to be spiritual fathers. Here's the sad confession of one father. I took my children to school, but not to church. I taught them to drink, but not of the living water. I rolled them in Little League, but not in Sunday school. I showed them how to fish, but not be a fisher of men. I made the Lord's day a holiday rather than a holy day. I taught them that the church is full of hypocrites, and then succeeded in making them a greater hypocrite than any other. I gave them a color TV, but provided them no Bible. I handed them the keys to the car, but did not give them the keys to the heaven. I taught them how to make a living, but failed to bring them to Christ who alone can give them life. And brothers and sisters, we need to thank God for the fathers who do just that, who bring life to our spirits through being a great example and someone who prepares us for the future. Thank you, fathers, for the material provision. Thank you, Father, for the faithful preparation. And number three, thank you for the spiritual presentation. Dads, by their very position and role, illustrate God, Father God, strong, unwavering, loyal, and loving. Sadly, there are many false ideas out in this world of what God is like. Uh, 
to the ancient Greeks, their version of God, or the Father, is Zeus. Zeus, if you know anything about uh, Greek history, know that he was often moody and known to zap his children with a well-aimed lightning bolt. He was not a loving father for sure. The Buddhists, well, they don't even have any concept of a personal God. And our Muslim friends who call their God Allah, totally inaccessible. In fact, impossible to know him personally. Did you know that only Christianity ever presents God as a intimate, someone we can be intimate with, in fact, calls him Father. You may recall over the last few weeks, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, and one of the things that Jesus taught us about prayer is he said, begin all your prayers with a sense that you're talking to your Father. He said, start your prayers this way, our Father, which art in heaven. This is a great reminder of God's nature. Human fatherhood, then, is patterned after divine fatherhood. However, unlike earthly fathers who have frailties and shortcomings, our Heavenly Father is all-wise and always loving. He's never an absentee father. He was always there whenever we need Him. There's a beautiful passage in Galatians chapter 4 that explains the new relationship that we have when Christ becomes, God becomes our Father. Look at verse number five, to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoptions of sons, adopted by God. Wow. And because you are sons, verse six, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There are many names and titles for God, perhaps as much as over 900 of them in scripture, when you combine all the titles. But one of the most prolific names for God in the Old Testament is the word El Shaddai. E-L in the Hebrew language is the name for God. He is God Almighty, El Shaddai. In the New Testament, however, God gave us a different name. Among the names that he gave us was found here in Galatians 4, crying Abba, not just Father, but Daddy, basically, or Papa. We need to realize that we have this amazing relationship with God, the sovereign God of the universe. God invites us to know him as Abba. Hey, I am, all, should, I am always El Shaddai, and every request you have, none of them is too big for me. As in Abba, no request is too small. When we say Father, we express his nature, and when we Say, Father God, we also, by its very nature, express His nurture. He is wanting to nurture us to Him. Yes, fatherhood is a great example of a perfect God as our Father. Now, there are some things we human fathers, we're not always perfect. Our attitudes and our actions aren't always what we would like our children to do. And I'm ashamed, I will say, Whenever I've given my children a bad example. But by God's grace, I can tell you, I've also done some good things, some godly things even, some Christ-like things. And that I do hope that they will copy. And if I could just simply say, if you could summarize what I basically am about, and it's simply this. Love God. Love His Word. Love people, especially God's people. I mean, there you go. 
that's pretty much what I hope the legacy I leave with my children, is to just always love God and to honor Him and obey Him and to believe His Word, cover to cover, or kiver to kiver, as my dad used to say. Believe it from Genesis to Revelation and to love people and especially God's people. Paul was happy to share his own life. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he said, For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, faithful in the Lord, who shall bring into remembrance of my ways, which are in Christ, as I teach in everywhere. Paul said, look, I'm not sinless. I don't proclaim to be a perfect person or a father or a pastor. But I have ways about me. I have methods. I have things that hopefully characterize my life. That is what I want you to follow. Well-known family evangelist and author, founder of Focus on the Family, James Dobson, gave a very wonderful testimony of the faithfulness, faithfulness of his own parents, his dad especially. Let me read just a quick little excerpt of a testimony I found. Of all the values transmitted to me by my father, none made more a lasting impression than his attitude towards money. As an evangelist, my dad would go to a local church and would collect a free will offering at the end, barely sufficient typically to even cover expenses. Usually he would stay with the pastor and often observe the pastor having needs in his own family. His children needed shoes or books or medication. My dad would return home, greeted by my mother and me, and I can still hear the conversations in my mind between my good parents. Did you have a successful revival? Mom would ask. The Lord was with us. Dad would reply, well, how much love offering did they pay you? Well, I need to talk to you about that, honey. My father would say, grinning, oh, I already know, honey, mom would say. Our bills would begin to accumulate. Our little family would gather on our knees before the Lord. But it was Dad who always, oftentimes, would give the love offering to the very pastor there where he was preaching. He said Dad and Mom would get on their knees, and we prayed together. He said, and I exaggerate not, here is the prayers that they prayed. Lord, you know we've been faithful with the resources you've been given. You said, give and it shall be given. And he said, invariably, within a few days, God would provide all their needs. He said, God did not make us rich as some ministers promised, but he never let us go hungry. My childlike faith grew by leaps and bounds at this illustration of trust and sacrifice by my father and mother. Thank God for the illustration that our dads have made about who God is. Thank God for their provision. Thank God for their preparation and for their presentation. And then finally this morning, thanks for the needful prohibition. One thing we want to thank our fathers for, maybe it's the most underappreciated, and that's for those inevitable works, trips to the woodshed. <laughs> you know, that glorious place where the Board of Education is applied to the seat of learning. A father was disciplining his little boy and said, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. The unhappy boy said, well, yeah, but not in the same place, dad. <laughs> One of Job's more uh, uh, uncharacteristic correct friends, Eliphaz, in Job chapter 5, 
said, you, he said, you know, one thing we know about God is that happy is the man whom God corrects. Happy is the person who knows that God is spanking him. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. We should count ourselves fortunate if God still spanks us. Why? If God's done spanking us and disciplining us, then that means there's no hope for us. Now, I will say that that spanking and that disciplining, that divine discipline is not especially joyful. But later and down the line, we realize it was a good thing. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, the Holy Spirit reminded us in that amazing deep book of Hebrews, the most amazing book outside of Romans, maybe in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, no chastening. Now, no chastening. No discipline, no spanking when God corrects us. None of that for the present seems to be joyous. It doesn't seem joyous. And well, it's not joyous. It's no fun at all. It's grievous. It's just terrible. It's challenging. Nevertheless, as hard as it is, and nobody likes to be spanked, and no parent even likes to do it, frankly, rarely, I should say, nevertheless, afterward, down the line, maybe sooner, maybe later, it yields something. We all are looking for those great uh, yields in bank accounts and other things. Well, let me tell you what this yields. It yields peace. Peace in a home and peace in a marriage and peace in your life. Because if you've been spanked by God, it will make you more righteous. He said, now, it does, however, have the effect of exercising you. Now, I'm not saying exorcising, although that may be necessary at times too. We're talking about being exercised, not exorcised. God says that his chastening, his hand of correction is that which changes us. We need to understand that raising and disciplining children is not always easy. In fact, it's sometimes easier said than done. It can be challenging. Maybe that's why Mark Twain advised, when a child reads 13 of age, a parent should place that child in a barrel, nail the lid shut, and then feed the teenager through a bunghole, a knothole. And when the child turns 16, plug up the hole. <laughs> Sometimes it seems like that. But Solomon actually was correct when in Proverbs chapter 13, he said, he that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him but time. Sparing the rod, meaning not giving discipline when it is necessary and needful, and it should take place. Sparing. Why do we spare? Well, we spare because we're busy. We spare because we feel guilty ourselves. We spare because we don't like confrontation. We spare because we've been uh, brainwashed by this world that somehow that's hateful or something. Never spare your son. It's your son. It's your daughter. Don't spare the rod. Now, the rod uh, was basically that. It was just a switch. 
And a few uh, good, uh, swift, uh, switched marks there can be so helpful. He's not talking about beating him with a big old post or something, or not something like that, obviously. But it's really anything that stings. And really, there are a lot of things that stings, and like taking away their phone or whatever like that, you know, for a period of time. But these stinging things are very helpful. If you love them, you'll chasten them. That's what people who love do when you're the parent. Nobody else gets that right. Nobody. Only the parent. So if the parent doesn't do it, then the child is going to miss out on something that they were supposed to get. And you're the only one. I'm the only one that gets to do that. Nobody else gets that right. Now we can chastise from the pulpit. We can chastise in a letter or those kind of things. But nobody gets that real hands-on. Unless maybe policemen, I guess, get to do that something. But they, we can chasten them because we love them. And it says betimes. That's just an old English way of saying early rather than later. Nip it in the bud. Don't just let it go so on and long until it's ingrained in them and you're frustrated and out of your brain. Don't be a pushover dad. Don't be a pushover mom. Solomon was right. It is so important for us to lovingly discipline our family. And if we don't, the results can be tragic. I read this. Uh, I'll share it with you a little longer. But if you listen, I believe it will be a blessing to you. It's actually from a Holman's Parents magazine from a couple of decades ago. It's called The Tragic Tale of Reginald. The parents of Reg, from his earliest age, had tried in a manner more kindly than sage to see that he stayed by no curb or taboo from doing those things that he wanted to do. Far be it from us to forbid or deny one whim to this apple, they said, of our eye. Encouraged by yes and untrammeled by no, his dear little ego shall flourish and grow. And free as the breezes that blow where they list, remain unacquainted with don't and desist. Pursuing this plan, they avoided with skill such things as ran counter to Reginald's will. And blended with manners caressing and mild, the shortage of rod that corrupteth a child. So Reginald did for whole of each day what Reginald wanted in Reginald's way. He even, however he were begged or cajoled, did opposite things to ones he was told. And more and more marked his conduct, became contempt for commands and dislike of same. If strangers were reckless enough to suggest, I think, Reggie, dear, perhaps this would be best. Such howls would he raise, such an outburst of noise, such stamping of feet and such smashing of toys, that lashings of sweets would be proffered for peace, lest neighbors grew nervous and summoned police. How sad that his parents so failed to describe the paramount need at such times to apply. A firm touch with a muscular hand are parts such as chastisement, were specially planned. Instead, uncorrected, young Reginald grew, till relatives talking as relatives do, were dawning it mild when they said as they did there never had met such an uncontrollable child. One day, Reggie's mother determined to slip with Reggie to town on a purchasing trip, and after deep disputation and fuss, 
for Reggie said train when his mother said bus. They made their approach to the shop where report had said the best bargains were commonly bought. At spots in that town, their busiest sites where crossings controlled and mechanical lights, after reaching the shop where they purposed to call, meant crossing the busiest crossing of all. The lights which were green went crimson instead, and stop, little Reg, who could read a bit red. Now how could be that light be expected to know that stop was just the way to make Reginald go? Big masses of mortars at right angles pent, all through their clutches as Reginald went. Not harshest of hoot or the fiercest of break could possibly save after such a mistake. The traffic-like tide that sweeps on a shore poured over Reg until Reg was no more. This story is so tragic but stresses the truth. The stricter the parent, the better the youth. No boy who has tannings discreetly applied could possibly die as young Reginald died. We should thank God, my friends, if our parents disciplined us and they were strict with us. Unlike what is common today. A recent study found that 24% of teens say that it was their parents who gave them alcohol. Their own parents. Too many are unwilling to be the parents their children need them to be. And to provide the moral guidance and the courage and the fiber to do what is right. And thank God for the parents. Thank God for the dads that I see in this church who are raising their children up to be young men and young women for God, who are more concerned about their children's learning than them being liked. Thank you, Dad. 18 million children in America today are growing up without a father. 25% of the homes do not have a father in the home. And thank God for the dads who are standing up and making a difference, who correct when they need to do so. I close with this little poem and a short thought. A letter to dad. There are so many things I'd like to tell you face to face. I either lack the words or fail to find the time and place. But in this special letter, dad, you'll find at least in part the feelings that the passing of years have left within my heart. The memories of childhood days and all that you have done to make our home a happy place and growing up so much fun. I still recall the walks we took, the games we often played, those confidential chats we had while resting in the shade. This letter comes to thank you and for needed words of praise, the counsel and guidance too that shaped my grown-up days. The words of mine can tell you, Dad, the things I really feel. But you must know my love for you is lasting, warm, and real. You made my world a better place. And through the coming years, I'll keep these memories of you as cherished souvenirs. I read about a small boy who was consistently late from coming home from school. Obviously, his parents were worried. And they more than once had warned him about this and said on one particular day, son, there will be consequences for your being so late. 
But nevertheless, on that very day, he arrived later than even ever. His mother met him at the door, said nothing, just glared. At dinner that night, the boy looked at his plate, and there was nothing but a slice of bread and a glass of water. He looked over at his dad's full plate, and then at his dad, but his father remained silent. The boy was crushed, and he knew it. He'd known he'd blown it. The grieved father waited for a while for the full impact to wait to sink in. And then quietly, he took his son's plate and placed it in front of himself. And then he took his own plate and delicious meat and potatoes and put it in front of his disobedient boy. He looked at his son and he said, Son, there is no excuse for your sin, but there is forgiveness. Now don't do that again. And when that little boy grew to be a man, he said, All my life, I have known what God is like. When he offered his own son, the gift of his son, Jesus, by what my father did for me that night. He gave me all of his in place of mine. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. Thank God for our heavenly father who took the punishment that we so deserved. This morning, if there has never been a time in your life where you know, absolutely 100% sure that you took Jesus and made a personal relationship with Father God and said, Dear Jesus, I... We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.